Where is true hope revealed? Is true hope revealed in goodness? Is it revealed in success? Society esteems the morally pure and good people as it's currently and popularly defined in the new morality observed, or the powerful and wealthy and capable people and puts them on the top. However, Jesus reveals that in his death is true life, in littleness is greatness, and in receiving the least is the promise that one receives God himself. Jesus silences all arguments and reveals the radical mercy of God, the hope that lies hidden in his suffering death and resurrection and in the suffering service of all who follow in his way. Welcome to the Sandhills Lutheran Ministry Podcast. I am Pastor John Edding. The title of the sermon on the 17th Sunday of Pentecost is Servant of All, Revealing a Hidden Hope. This is a sermon on Mark chapter 9, verses 30 through 37. Thanks be to God. Let's get to the sermon. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. There is a brain test that I recently took to reveal whether or not, yeah, I know it's a dangerous thing to say, a brain test, but um, to, re- to reveal whether or not I am an active left brain thinker or a right brain thinker. Uh, it's a video you can watch, and the video, if you want to look it up on YouTube, is called The Horse Walking Illusion. <laughs> and if you decide that you see the horse walking forward, then that reveals you're more left brain. And if you see the horse walking backwards, then that reveals you are more right brain, um, meaning that you're more you know, creative and intuitive. Uh, left brain, you're analytical and logical. Well, so if you can trust the test, then it reveals that I'm, uh, I saw, I decided that I saw the horse moving backwards. So I, if you can trust again the test and it reveals that I'm more right-brained, I think that is correct and I can live with that. I'm relieved actually because what if I saw the horse, you know, just on the ground, um, on its back, you know, uh, itching itself. What would have that revealed? Or if, if I saw the horse sitting down, which um, somebody said pastor horses, they only do that in the movies. So <laughs> they don't actually sit down. But if I did see that, what would that reveal about myself? Um, well, probably not something I would like. I wish there was a test on a more serious note here. I wish there was a test uh, that could reveal where true hope is, is revealed. We sure seem to be in short supply of hope in the world today. I find that for myself that a steady diet of news can dampen my feelings and really warp my perspective on things. Um, And I mean true hope, not hope that seems to disappear in the next news cycle, or nor the hope that is false and lets you down. I long for the hope that keeps me buoyed up no matter 
the situation and no matter what kind of personal news that I am receiving. That kind of hope, true hope. I imagine that this hope is something that we would all like to possess. We are looking at our text from Mark chapter 9, verses 30 through 37, and I am inviting you to think about this central question. Where is true hope revealed? And by using this questioning method, this sermon will want to reveal the source of true hope for our lives that will then create and call forth a joyful willingness to serve. So the first question is this. In this questioning method, is true hope revealed in goodness? Is true hope revealed in my goodness or in the goodness of others? Well, James is helpful here because in his optimistic word for the hearer in our epistle reading from James chapter 3, starting in verse 13 and then going through chapter 4, verse 10, he is crushing us. (laughs) Here's an example. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. That's verse 14. James points us to a a bitter and a sweet reality that the externals of keeping the law are not really what this is about. This is about my heart. And I don't think there is any, you know, video that we can watch, anything that would reveal um, in that way what truly resides in our hearts. I firmly believe that the most neglected commandments in the great list of ten are not the adultery commandment, or nor even the false witness commandment, but it is the coveting commandments. If you work out from the fifth commandment, which starts with the value of my neighbor's physical life, then we progress through his family relationships, then on to his possessions, and then on to his reputation. Well, the last two commandments are really about my feelings toward my neighbor. Here's an illustration. A couple of years ago, when times were really good, Joe's neighbor bought a beautiful, brand new Volvo for his wife for her birthday present. And Joe was driving a minivan of a certain vintage, and it had more than a few blemishes. It was not a terribly sporty vehicle, and he kind of made fun of it. He called it his swagger wagon. But really, it was easy for Joe to be jealous of his neighbor. That covetousness would see that car, that brand new car, given as a birthday gift, as an affront to Joe's own self, finally. And Joe could not abide by his joy, his neighbor's joy, but would seek to ruin it. 
Job would not steal the car. He was too afraid that he would be thrown into, into jail. So he would steal his neighbor's joy. He, Job would tell him that, you know, he read the consumer reports about his car, that Volvo, and that it isn't really uh, very good. And Joe will notice that the, the model, this model of, of Volvo is so prone to needing expensive repairs. And then Joe will tell him that his friend on the other side of town got a better deal. Joe will not rob him of his car, but of his joy. And Joe would not smile and rejoice with him on the day of his great gift, giving joy. The truth is, is that you or I might not steal from our neighbor or hurt him in the least, but you and I can harbor all sorts of crud against him or her in our hearts, in it, and it will eventually show up. Even if it does not show up in your words, in your deeds, toward your neighbor, it is still, it's still in my heart. It's still in your heart. And that is a problem. No amount of self-help can change these stubborn, the stubborn and broken human nature and that of my neighbors. So, so much for true hope being revealed in my own goodness. And Jesus is looking to reveal the will of God to the disciples. And Jesus is looking to tell his disciples um, about the will of God. Uh, And finally, he gets his chance and he makes this prediction of his suffering, his death and resurrection from the dead. This is in the first uh, portion of, of three sections of our short text. And this passion prediction in our text is the shortest of the three that Jesus has or offers in Mark, and yet it contains the widest scope. Jesus implicates not just the religious leaders or the ruling Gentiles, but all humanity. All humanity. All men. All humanity. So much for true hope revealed in the goodness of humanity. And the way of God, the ways of God are opposed to the ways of humanity, the gracious work of God hidden in his violent rejection by all. Our world is fascinated by things spiritual, and that tends to identify love with tolerance and replace forgiveness with acceptance. Our Lord's revelation, though, reveals the depth of the love of God. Jesus does not tolerate sin, nor accept it. Rather, he dies for it. That those who kill may be forgiven, that those who persecute may be loved, and those who live with a superficial understanding of faith and discipleship may be awakened to the depths of love and life within God's kingdom. So, true hope is not revealed in goodness, so is true hope revealed in success? We are incredibly success-oriented and stubbornly uh, insist that success, as we measure it, is the 
measure of our life. But success, as the world measures it, the the measure of the disciples in this text, it's not Jesus' measure. In that second portion of our text, uh, Jesus, uh, or even in in that first saying that completely silenced them, Jesus is emptying himself on a cross. To the disciples, he looks like a loser. But the cross is the victory. In weakness, God's strength is found to be complete and perfect. In dying is life. And in what looks like a failure is real success. Jesus speaks of his death. And the disciples are depicted as as children. Uh, He tells them exactly what's going to happen, but they just don't get it. And then they start arguing. They start arguing who is going to be prime minister in Jesus's kingdom. And who is going to have to be the secretary of agriculture or something like that. Um, Jesus confronts them. And will you just look at these guys? They look like children. When a parent confronts them about who left the back porch a muddy mess. They all look at the floor and hope that Jesus won't notice them. They have nothing to say. So Jesus perceives the hearts of of his disciples. Talk about who or what can really reveal human hearts and that Jesus is the revealer of the human heart. He perceives the hearts of the disciples and again, seeks to teach the ways and reveal the ways of God. And while they were silent and unwilling to admit it, the disciples, again, they had argued with one another about greatness and using human standards of greatness, they found that they were being then driven apart because they were arguing. Jesus, however, brings them together and he uses their sinful conversation as an occasion to teach them about the ways of God. And he sat them down, he called the 12, he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. then this, on our thinking about success, says a lot about our thinking about success as the world measures, measures it. It really turns the success as the world measures it on its head. So we need some help here. And when we need help from God, we pray. That's what we learned last week with the Father and the Son who are powerless to change anything. Lord, have mercy. Help me. I have faith but help me in my unbelief. And in the opening collect or the prayer of the day, uh, we pray together, grant us humility. We heard James write these words in verse six, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And then he concludes chapter four, verse, or our text concludes in verse 10 of chapter four, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. So we pray that God will grant us humility like that of Jesus. Humility, though, let's understand, it's, it's, mis, it's a much misunderstood word in our vocabulary. Humility is only possible by great people. If a worthless worm says he is a worthless worm, well, that is not humility, that is honesty. 
Humility is when the powerful, the strong, the capable, the wise, and the skilled stop to serve the one who is less strong, capable, wise, or skilled. And here I'll use the, um, an illustration of playing basketball. I'm terrible at playing basketball. Very little skills. Um, I really stink at it. In fact, um, it's no act of humility for me to play ball with a child. There's a good chance that that child will beat me. But if some NBA star walked in the room and offered to shoot a few hoops with the kid, now that would be humility. He's bending down to play with a child. For me to call that humility is to acknowledge his greatness as well. So God has already made us great. We are children of God. We are heirs of heaven. We are the redeemed of God, of the Lord. We are sanctified in Christ, possessors of the Holy Spirit. And humility is not a denial of those things, but the acknowledgement of those things, but then turning around to serve the poor in spirit, the lame in heart, the outcasts from the kingdom and the weaklings in faith. So if true hope is not revealed in goodness, and likewise, if true hope is not revealed in success, then where is true hope revealed? Well, the third part of our text reveals a hidden hope. Jesus takes a child. He wraps his arms around the little one and he looks his disciples in the eye. He and the child are one. You cannot see one without the other. Taking that child into his arms, Jesus forces us to see him in the wide eyes of that child. Christ has made himself one with the weakest and most vulnerable members of the human race. And that is the hidden and to the perspective of, and the world's perspective, upside down nature of God's kingdom. Where we would look at the morally pure, the good people, or the powerful and the wealthy and the capable people and put them on top. God sees things just the opposite. His is a servant kingdom. The king sets aside his glorious crown to take up a crown of thorns. He wears as he hangs from a cross. The perfect sacrifice for the broken world, dying for the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the sinners. And the little people are on the top. The big people, the greatest of all, are on the bottom. Jesus is the king of this universe, not because he has more power or more servants and wealth than anyone else, but because he gave them up in service to the world. Now that is the hidden and upside down way that his kingdom works. And we're not called to be moral police, but to love them all, even the really broken ones. And now when we see the little one among us, be it a child, uh, a person in need, a tearful face, a lonely face, a stranger, or a poor man, we are moved by the compassion of Christ 
to say that God cares about that person and because God cares, so do I. And because God cares, he has put me here today so that through me, he might love them the more. So Jesus offers the true hope that anyone could find. So let's recap. For in his death is true life. In littleness is greatness. And in receiving the least is the promise that one receives God himself. I know most of us have had the experience of visiting some old saint in the nursing home or giving some respite to some caregiver and leaving that room then refreshed and uplifted. Even though the world would look at what we have done and thought it a waste of valuable time, the believers in Acts, they rejoiced whenever they had the chance to suffer for Christ. Think about that. They rejoiced. Being a servant, giving up, sacrificing time and treasure and talent for the kingdom of God, loving with his love is no burden, but the most joyful and the most hopeful thing that we do, for we serve with Jesus and we serve Jesus. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen.